Hey, if you have your Bible, do me a favor, grab it. If you got your device, you can go to the ESV version of this book that we open every week called The Bible. And uh, you can go to Psalm 116. Psalm 116. Man, my sister, my older sister, Kim, she had, uh, she had one of these things when I was growing up. I was a little kid and it was called a secret lockbox. Has it, anybody ever seen one of those before? Yeah. Um, but it really just looks like this solid piece of wood when you, when you, when you hold it in your hands. And to, you know, to the, that's what it looks like to the naked eye. But it actually uh, contains within the box all of these smaller hidden blocks of wood that you sort of had to push and then pull in order to unlock all the hidden compartments where she uh, kept some of her, her jewelry. Uh, man, and I remember when I finally figured out how to open it. And I felt accomplished. I felt smart because she said, you're never gonna get this thing open. And it took me seven years and I finally got it open, I'm kidding. But I worked at it, found all of the little triggers and the little blocks of wood that needed to go this way and that way, the ones that you need to push in, the ones that you need to pull out, just in the right sequence. And then just like that, the top opens and there's all these little compartments with all her jewelry, which I stole um, after I got in there. I'm kidding. But our, our hearts are like this. They're like this box in a lot of ways. We keep secret things locked inside that nobody has access to. That's happening in your heart, in my heart right now. We have shameful moments that we keep locked away. We have bad memories. We have horrible people that we'd rather not mention. We have unmentionable thoughts. What if the Lord had such a heart for your secret unlocked heart that he not only listened when you shared your thoughts more, in a more uncensored way, but he welcomed them as the occasion to provide his restful presence, which is what we're looking at these three weeks in Psalm 116. And here's our big point for the day is that when we come before the Lord with uncensored honesty, we're able to best experience his provision and his presence, which by the way, is unwavering in our lives. So last week, if you remember, if you were here, we looked at love, loving the Lord, expressing our love for the Lord, praying to God, it's laying our souls bare before the Lord and then praising God, telling the Lord, you are great, telling the people around us, expressing our love and our praise for the Lord to the people around us. We, we talked about that as being three expressions of the psalmist here, who we think is David in Psalm 116, um, as being the way in which our soul can return to rest. And so this week we're gonna just continue that theme. We're gonna look at how an honest testimony allows our souls to find that internal rest that we so long for. And I'm just gonna be presumptuous right now by saying that that is what you long for. That is why you're here in some ways. And there's that chaos, there is that internal stirring, 
There is that junk inside that just continues to turn over and turn over. And you come into a place like this, you gather corporately to worship a God who has an answer for that internal chaos. And then when we open a book like the Psalms, what we see is we see this selection of dudes who wrote songs about that that chaos and that inner stirring in their soul. And so what happens when we read the Psalms is we get sort of a, a template and we get a model for what it looks like to bear our soul. And not only that, but we're reminded that that is exactly the way that God wants us to go before him. It's as if the psalmists, they give us permission to express ourselves in ways that we may have thought, man, can God handle that? Does God even want me to respond to him with that type of expression? What we see when we look in scripture, when we we read the biblical writers is that that's actually all God wants from us in terms of how we come before him and what we lay before him. Let's look at Psalm 116. We went through verses one through seven. We're gonna go through verses eight through uh, 11 today, but I'm gonna start at verse one and I'm just gonna read all the way through 11, all right? Psalm 116 says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. We're going to stop right there. This is the word of the Lord. Let's look at what the psalmist experienced as we're getting into just sort of the, the depths of this particular song. The first thing that we see is that he experienced when we jump to verses 10 and 11 is that he experienced high anxiety. What does it mean for you to experience Anxiety, to be overwhelmed by life. We might describe anxiety as the, a feeling of worry, of nervousness or, or unease, typically maybe uh, regarding a, a coming event or something that has an uncertain outcome. Now, again, anxiety can come in just this multifaceted groups of ways into our lives. It can be the result of our doing. Anxiety can come because of decisions we make that put us in a place of unease and worry. It can also come from the decisions and actions of others. People make decisions that affect us deeply. Things that we didn't choose, that were done to us, that were done against us. And it creates a sense of anxiety inside of us. It can also be due to the fact 
that we don't have a good theology of suffering. So if we live lives that are formed and shaped by sort of the comforts and the creature comforts that our society and our culture is constantly delivering to us, constantly serving us, what that means is we grow so accustomed to a particular kind of worldview and lifestyle that when that's ever removed or something comes in to sort of hit against it, we don't know how to deal with it. I would say that in our age, in our particular world that we live in, I would say that that's a major thing for us. It's a major, major thing in how the church even deals with its own anxiety. Because if you live a life where you are constantly being made to think that your greatest quest in life is to draw greater comfort and ease into your life. And by the way, we've got lots of things around us to make that available. I clicked on Prime like four times this week, you know? What happens when somebody removes Prime? Well, I'm outraged that a package takes more than three days to arrive at my house if I can't find that thing on Prime, right? So I'm being flippant to make a larger point that sometimes anxiety, this unease, this uncertainty, it's really due to the fact that we have been conditioned by a society that says the greatest thing that you can find and discover about yourself is comfort and ease. And then when that gets removed from us, it feels like suffering and how we express that and how we understand that is through the anxiety that we feel inside because we don't know how to deal. Does that make sense? The biblical writers are comfortable acknowledging the discomfort of anxiety and worry, however which way it floods into our lives. Verse 10 says, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. So the psalmist here is pouring out to God about how troubled he had become due to circumstances both inside and outside his control. As he reminded his soul in verse 7, if you look back to verse 7, about returning to rest, we see him now reflecting on the affliction his soul has been in due to the distress and the anguish going on in his life. And again, what's happening here? Well, this is a brother who is speaking truth to himself. He's reminding himself of what he believes to be true. He's being honest. He's also coming before the Lord with uncensored honesty. He doesn't feel the need to be careful, to be spiritual, or to put on some face to try and convince God that everything is okay. Do you do that? Do you think that when you go before the Lord, it's important that you put your best foot forward? Again, that that puts into question how we view God and what we think God sees when we come before him. I mean, do we think we're fooling him? Because we can do that with people all the time. Man, I can show up, me and my wife can show up and we're hanging out with somebody and I can be in deep distress, but if I just turn on the Ronnie Martin... Like nobody's gonna know that. You guys probably don't know that some mornings when I'm up here preaching and I'm being all dramatic. And inside there's stuff going on. 
I can put on something, given the context and the occasion, that is not going to allow you in and you won't be any of the wiser. But here's the problem is that we think that God is like that. I mean, he's just not like that. He already knows what we're going to ask before we ask it. He already knows what we think before we think it. He already knows what we're going to say before we say it. We just sang that song, Search My Heart. That comes from Psalm 139. This is where the psalmist is writing, saying, before I even think a thought, you already know the thought. The psalmist here doesn't seem to have any of those issues. He comes before the Lord with an honest testimony. You know who else didn't have those issues? Jesus. In Luke twenty-two forty-four, we read that being in agony, it says, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. That's how honest Jesus was before the Father the night before his death. He said, Father, if you are willing, he said, remove this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This was an honest testimony from Jesus before the Father. Even the Apostle Paul, he mentions to the Corinthians the anxiety he felt for the pastors and the churches that he served and he wrote letters to and he prayed for day and night. Has anxiety reached a critical point in your life? Do you just keep it bottled up? What would it look like for you to get honest before the Lord like the psalmist? Our anxiety doesn't need to be the occasion to keep our shame concealed. Rather, it can lead us to greater truth about ourselves and the Lord. And by the way, I'm not promoting a simple remedy here for our issues and our anxiety. So don't hear me say that. But this might be the first step, this kind of uncensored honesty before the Lord, it might be the first step toward being courageous enough for you to get some more advanced help. Because sometimes we need some help. Sometimes we need to open up to a friend or a pastor or somebody who can listen and walk alongside of us. The psalmist experienced high anxiety. I am greatly afflicted, he said. You know what he also experienced? Horrible people. Verse 11, I said in my alarm, I said in my haste, is another translation, all mankind are liars. Dude, we have some common phrases now, don't we? Like, people are the worst, right? Or how about this one? I've given up on the human race, right? We hear comments like this and we speak words like this because we live in a world that will do whatever it takes to get ahead and we are sometimes the people it runs over to get ahead. Man, all of you have experienced and dealt with the feeling of being betrayed, of being marginalized, of being used by someone or maybe lied to by someone that you trusted. If we go through life without believing in a God who can redeem people, there's no reason to believe that people will only ever care about themselves. 
It's incredibly easy in the world we live in today to develop a cynical view of the human race. And, and by the way, it's understandable when you see how low some people can go. Maybe you look in the mirror and you can say, when I see how low I can go and have gone. I said in my haste, all mankind are liars. So this is a brother that had been falsely accused of something. And maybe you can relate to that. I can. I was talking to a friend recently who said, we're talking about this a little bit. And he said, you know, it's hard. It's hard when you know someone out there who every time they speak to someone about you, they're spreading a lie about you and you can do nothing to defend yourself because you can't just follow this guy around and sit down with the person he had the convo with and have your own conversation with him. It's a helpless feeling. The writer of this psalm is experiencing the drama and the PTSD that comes after we've been lied to, we've been betrayed, we've been used by another human being. He's being dramatic here. His emotions are sweeping over him. And by the way, he has license to express himself that way. But here's the thing. If all mankind are liars, it means that he is a liar. It means that we too are liars ourselves. The psalmist knows he's not perfect, but he's acknowledging that in his haste and in his hurt and the, the emotional trauma that comes with that, it seems like mankind really are all liars. The reality is that we experience high anxiety and horrible people because we live in a world that's been ravaged by sin. So as we grow and are become more sanctified in our relationship with Jesus, that becomes less surprising and shocking to us, at the same time grieving us even more deeply. When sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, we go back to this theme all the time. I talk about this all the time because we've got to go back to the origins of where this came from so we know where we've ended up. But when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, it meant that everyone was infected with the potential to betray and be betrayed, to lie and be lied to. It meant that our ability to trust the Lord, listen to this, with every detail of our life would be accomplished only ever imperfectly. But when we choose to go before the Lord with an honest testimony, we're able to acknowledge and experience what this psalmist did in verses eight and nine. So yes, we experience high anxiety and horrible people. But we also experience, when we go back to verse eight, which is where he said, for you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, and I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Yes, there is high anxiety. Yes. There are horrendous people that have done things to you that exacerbate, that bring out, that double down on that anxiety. But for the Christian, 
for the one who puts his trust in Jesus, we also experience a God who preserves us with his provision and his presence. The psalmist grounds his honest testimony with a greater narrative than his affliction. A greater narrative than the false accusations he experienced. Because you all can be honest about a lot of things. It can't just stop at honesty. You can be honest. But what happens when we're done being honest? What's on the other side of that, of that wall of honesty that we finally climb up? What's, what's lying on the other side of that? What are we jumping into? What is the net? What is the ground that is lying there on the other side of honesty? It has to be a God that promises to be there and to provide for us. There has to be a greater narrative than the affliction and the false accusations. Because it's true that sometimes anxiety reigns high and people can't seem to get any worse. Yes, but God is writing a story for you that keeps you from entering into the hopeless despair of the world. God offers us himself. He offers us his provision, his presence, so that we always have a way to return to rest from the relational storms that are swirling around us. How does he do that? Well, it says it right here. He delivers our souls from death. Our eyes from tears, our feet from stumbling, so that we walk with him in a place of new life and increasing wholeheartedness. Yes, the anxiety and the affliction we experience causes us to believe that everyone is against us. Sometimes it feels that way. But God continues to preserve our hearts so that we don't lose heart in God or humanity. But we continue to believe what is true and we give testimony to that truth. Verse 10, I believed, he says, even when I spoke, I believed. He's affirming something right there. When we lay our soul bare and bring our honest testimony before the Lord, he brings a renewed sense of what's true back to our hearts, which by the way can deceive us when we're in pain. So a couple observations as we close. How do these verses help us find rest when anxiety is raining high, when people are low, and it's hard to be honest before God in our grief and in our exhaustion? A couple of thoughts. First one is this. God doesn't reject your reality. That's what we're seeing happening right here. God does not reject your reality. Jesus has proven that to you through the cross. Remember when Jesus was baptized, a voice descended from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. In your anguish, listen to him. 
in your anxiety, listen to him. Living within the narrative that false accusations have created for your life, listen to him. And the sorrow that that creates for you, listen to him. God did not reject Jesus in his sorrow. And if you have Jesus, he will not reject you in yours. God doesn't use your honesty against you like some people do. And some people do. It can be a risk and a liability to be honest with people. Man, we've all, we've faced that. Man, I, man, I, I laid my soul out before you and you took it. You distorted it. Or you shared it. You used it against me. They can take what you say and judge you. They can think falsely of you. They can accuse you. They can slander you. They can be disappointed in you. They can reject the words that you honestly share. But God doesn't reject your reality. Isn't that amazing? The God of the universe doesn't reject the reality that our fallenness has brought us into the place of. Why? Because if you are his, your reality has been redeemed by the blood of Christ. That's why. That's the gospel. Go to him with uncensored honesty and receive his welcoming heart because that's what it is. You know, when scripture says be anxious for nothing, Melissa really helped me with thinking through this. It's not to shame you out of your anxiety, by the way. So when the Bible says be anxious for nothing, don't think of it as a finger pointing to you saying, you better stop being anxious. You better get that anxiety and put it on the shelf or else. It's not shaming you out of your anxiety. It's to remind you that God cares for you and your needs and your pain. By the way, more deeply than any other created thing on earth. That is the kind of relationship that he has with us. God doesn't reject your reality. He is your reality. He is your truth. He is the shepherd of your soul. Jesus told us in John 6, 37, all that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's a promise for us. Secondly and finally, second observation. First, God doesn't reject your reality. Secondly, this is something we can draw from this as a way to help us live with our neighbors. And it's this, greater honesty allows greater empathy for others. Let me just unpack that for a minute. It's not all about us. You see, that's, that's kind of a famous slogan, even though not one person in the world lives by it. It's not all about you. That would be awesome if any of us actually believed that. But it's not all about us. Look around. Your neighbor is going through some stuff right now in this church. Being honest before the Lord isn't supposed to result in us becoming better navel gazers, all right? It's supposed to shift our gaze back to God to the degree that our eyes are open to a world much bigger than our own. When God, deli listen, when God delivers your soul from death, 
your eyes from tears and your feet from stumbling, you walk before the Lord in a place of righteous illumination. And what that means is your heart is being changed degree by degree so that you see yourself in a different light. You see that you're not the center of the universe. Is that the most dad thing that I could have said to you right there? Your eyes become open to the reality that there are other souls out there, in here, that need to be delivered from death. There are other eyes that need to be delivered from tears. There are other feet that need to be delivered from stumbling. Your honesty is necessary to create empathy in your heart toward others who are filled with anxiety and have been harmed by horrible people. When the Lord takes your uncensored honesty and preserves you with his provision and his presence, you become encouraged. You become strengthened to empathize with and care for the needs of others. Paul talked about this, 2 Corinthians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. So that, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, what does that tell us right there? As we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, as we learn to have a deeper theology of suffering, as we see the life of Christ and realize that the call of Christ means that we're gonna step in the shoes of Christ and that we're going to experience a lot of the pushback that Christ experienced. That's what that means as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. So it's through the sufferings that we know what comfort is. How do you know what comfort is if you never suffer? And if you never suffer and never experience the comfort of Christ, how on earth do you have empathy? How do you give help and care for those around you who are experiencing it? And if you're never honest before the Lord like the psalmist is, how do you make heads or tails of the things and the events and the drama that has taken place in your life that without Christ is just going to sound like your life just continues to be piled on? This is what we learn from Psalm 116, that when we bring our uncensored honesty before the Lord, because anxiety runs high and people are horrible, we experience the provision and the presence of God who doesn't reject our reality, but receives us and cleanses us and changes us. Does that make sense? Man, this message was so hard for me. Um, you know, sometimes when you preach and you prepare sermons, um, man, I think of your faces when I'm writing these words through the week. And sometimes, man, you get to Saturday night and the cliche, if you talk to all my buddies, is I got nothing. And about nine o'clock last night, man, oh man, 
I didn't have much. And it was the very points and principles and truth behind this psalm that really helped me to go before the Lord and to picture you and to picture me and to picture us in a place where we need to be able to encourage one another to come before the Lord with honest expression so that we can understand more deeply about the love and care that the Father has for us and that the more we understand that, the more we will be able to serve and help one another. So, as I'm just slogging through a sermon, it is your care and prayers for me that I get to experience the provision and the presence of the Lord. It's what allows me to say, man, can we just do this? Man, can we just do this together? I'm, I might be the least worthy guy to be up here even preaching this stuff, but here I am. And can we just do this together? Can we trust the Lord together as a church? Can we remember together? Communion is a moment that we remember together. It's a moment for the church to receive the comfort. Don't close your Bibles yet. Of Christ's death once again. Listen, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has removed your shame on the cross. We receive a new reality when we go before the Lord in honest repentance. This is so important. It's so important that Jesus told us to symbolically eat of his flesh and drink of his blood when we gathered as his people. It sounds gruesome. And if it's the first time you've ever even like heard somebody say that, yeah, it's gruesome. Sounds even a little weird if we're honest. But this is what we know from scripture is that it's by his broken body and shed blood that we receive forgiveness of sins and life eternal with Jesus. So this is why we celebrate communion with Jesus and with one another, to be reminded of Christ's death, the death of our sin and the life we now have because Christ died. If you've never received this forgiveness and life from Jesus, it's not that hard. It's simply a matter of believing that Jesus was God, that he lived a perfect life, that he died a death so that you might have peace with our creator God who you and I have sinned against since birth. God sent his son to remove our guilt and shame. Now, if you are coming in today and you've not yet had that experience with Jesus, we just pray that you would hold off on communion. This is something for people that have put their trust in Jesus. This is not a rejection at all. It's really an invitation. In the same way that you wouldn't put a, a wedding ring on your finger before you got married, in a lot of ways, this is what celebrating communion before you are in a covenant with Jesus is like. Romans 3 tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6, a book written by the Apostle Paul says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we come before the Lord as sinners saved by grace, or maybe for the first time you come before the Lord as a sinner who expresses your need for that grace and for that forgiveness of sin. 
and then you are adopted into this family of faith. Then you take communion with us. Then you benefit from this community of believers that we're all in and that we all enjoy quite a bit. For those who feel indifferent because this is the part of the service that you wish we would just get through because it feels boring and tedious, remember who you were. The living dead. You were the living dead before you came to know Christ. And now you are alive because of him. Let's grab our cups. I need a cup. Can you throw me a cup? Thanks, babe. Let's open up the portion with our bread, our wafer, our cracker. I still don't know what to call this. Let's remember the broken body of Christ on the cross for the remission of our sins, which he commanded us on the night before his death to take and remember. Let's eat. Let's peel open our cup and remember that it's the blood of Christ which gives us forgiveness of sins, gives us a renewed and restored relationship with God. It means that he receives us. It means he doesn't reject our reality any longer. So as we drink, as we take of this, we remember the truth of that and we are strengthened as a church. Let's drink. I'm gonna pray and the band's gonna come up. Lord, thank you that we have such a great salvation because of Christ. Lord, you know the world we live in better than we do. You know the anxieties that we face. You know the people who, are, who have harmed us, who are going to harm us. We see the way the psalmist is honest about the dilemmas of his life, the anguish and the distress. We also see who he returns to. So God, this morning I pray that we would return to you to find our rest, even in our anxiety, even in the way that we have been treated unfairly and unkindly and unjustly by people. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to rewrite our story and Lord, that we would have eyes to see that you use us and the rewriting of our stories in the rewriting of other people's stories. So Lord, help us have great empathy for one another. Help us to be a church that's honest, that doesn't come into the warehouse all buttoned up every Sunday. But we lay ourselves bare and we learn how to do that better. We know it's a process. Thank you for being patient with us, Lord. Thank you for Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.